Mom, Dad, you should shop Amazon for back to school and save some money. See, I'm currently obsessed with superheroes and need all the superhero stuff. Superhero lunchbox, superhero backpack. But next year, it'll be something else. Maybe dinosaurs? I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller. But I can tell you not to spend a fortune and shop low prices for school on Amazon. Okay, good chat. Amazon. Spend less, smile more. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. We are talking to two top legal experts, and we're talking about legal deal killers and how to avoid them and really how to position yourself best for sale from a legal aspect today. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everyone, to The Deal Board. And we've got another very special episode for you today. We are talking to two top legal experts, and we're talking about legal deal killers and how to avoid them and really how to position yourself best for sale from a legal aspect today. Yes, it is a legal process. I mean, this is when you're buying a business, it is a legal transaction and you need attorneys. And we're going to talk about why and all the things that could go wrong. I do want to correct one thing that I said, though. I did say that you have much like you could uh, represent yourself in any sort of court case pro se, which is probably the dumbest thing you could ever do in your life. I did say that you could represent yourself in a deal, but that is not exactly true. Because if you incorporate, you mm-hmm. cannot represent your own corporation because that would be practicing law. So ah. a corporation cannot represent itself. Now, I know a lot of people do it and a lot of people think that they're representing themselves, but you cannot represent yourself as a corporation uh, because corporations can't speak. Uh, but you as a person, if you're a C, if you're a Schedule C and, and a sole pr- practitioner, you can do that with sole proprietor, but still not a good idea. Still not a good idea, but yeah, did not, I never thought of it that way from a C-Corp. I just always thought, hey, not a good idea, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, corporations can speak. So um, so we've got two great interviews today, right, Andy? I've got um, Corey Kuffner. He is an M&A attorney out of New York. He's been practicing law for decades. He's seen all kinds of deals. And we talk about um, the top three things that you should prepare for from the legal side of your transaction and and how to ensure that your transaction is going to go through. Um, so great interview. It's um, always great to have Corey. Corey on the show. He's he's been a great resource for me and my firm for the last few years, really. Yeah, Corey does a great job. I listened to that because I wanted to make sure that we covered something different with Jack Jackie Howe. Jacqueline Howe uh, is the corporate attorney here in Florida for Transworld. We've been working with Jackie for 13 years. She is an expert on how people get themselves in trouble in deals. Uh, and she talks about working from the broker side, but she also talks about buyers and sellers and what happens in a deal and UPL violations. And she she picked up the phone and called me right after uh, we were done with our interview. And she said, you said one thing that I just wanted to expand upon. So I just did. 
but Jackie has a lot of other great things. So it's two great interviews about legal issues. And as always, we've got a listing of the week and a deal of the week. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. And we hope you find it valuable. You will. Let's get to it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the deal board. As you know, today we're talking about top issues we see people make in their deals and even things leading up to the deals. And I'm very excited to have with us today, as mentioned, uh, one of my friends from Entrepreneurs Organization, Corey. We've done a few things together now. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the deal board today and to share your expertise, um, not just from the legal side, but the, the deal side. You've got a ton of experience to share with our listeners. So welcome to the show. It's great to be on with you, Jessica. Thanks. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, just some top mistakes we see business owners and specifically on the sell side make when either completing their deal or maybe even some mistakes they've made ahead of time that affect their deal and and getting done or them getting paid for the highest value. Like what's the number one thing, the number one mistake you see? Yeah. I mean, for me, the starting point, and it's more number one, maybe in order of things, you know, out out of a few that are important. But it's it's not getting total clarity. I mean, I talk about this in my negotiating book as well in terms of negotiating, but it's true on the deal side. Total clarity of exactly what they want, what they don't want out of the deal, right? You know, when they work with an attorney or they work with an advisor like you, you know, folks, folks like us can really help them out, but we, we we can't really help them as well if we if we don't, we're unclear exactly what they want. Like, you know, why are they doing this deal? What do they want to achieve? Because you mentioned, for example, you know, getting top dollar, that's sometimes the the, the big motivation but it's not the only one. And for actually, for some folks, it's not even the, the top motivation sometimes, right? Sometimes, you know, I mean, do they care about their legacy? Do they want to make sure their employees are taken care of? Uh, do they want to continue to work in the business or not work in the business? If so, for how long, you know? Um, you know, there are a lot of factors like that, that um, unfortunately, sometimes people don't fully, fully think through. And then whether it's trying to devise uh, or or plan a negotiating strategy around it, or it's, uh, you know, when you're, when you're just trying to structure the deal, um, it, it makes it difficult because, uh, you know, unless we know the objective. So, yeah. And some, some of that takes some internal work, right? It's not just like, you know, this intellectual thing, especially for the entrepreneurs, you know, founders, those kind of people where it's been their baby in their lives, you know, at a deep level, what do they really want out of this deal? Yeah. I, I think it's a really good point too, especially in relation to negotiation, right? Because, uh, like, uh, and I know you're f- very familiar with negotiation, but you can't win every point, right? And if you don't know what's important to your client, and if the client doesn't know what's important to them, I oftentimes find that like everything becomes important, right? And then everything becomes a major issue or an obstacle because there's not, like you said, there's not clarity on like what's the exact outcome that we want, right? Out of this transaction. That, that's right. And, and listen, that's one of the quickest ways to kill a deal. I mean, if everything's important, the odds are you're not going to get that deal done because, you know, uh, no, no deal is going to end up to be one-sided unless it's a fire sale desperation deal, you know, and that's usually usually where the buyer has the uh, has the leverage. It's very rare on the seller side that you have that kind of leverage and, and that's not a great deal anyway. So yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely crucial to narrow down, you know, truly what, what what what's important and what's not and what the 
walkaway items are not from some place of anger, upset or ego, but from a place of clarity, like, hey, I really need to have these three things, five things, seven things, but not 25 things, you know, yeah. um, that, uh, you know, in the deal for it to work for me. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that's like, there's a lot of crossover in that. Like that's, like you said, that's, that's some internal work that you have to do um, coming into selling your business. It's some things you have to communicate with all of your advisors, right? Legal brokers, accountants, like just make sure everybody's on the same page. All right. So number one is clarity. What's, what's another big, big mistake you see? Um, that people get, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting maybe for some listeners because they're going to assume, and I can get to some of those that I'm going to talk about very specific legal things, but those aren't usually the ones that actually kill the deals, right? Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give my third one's lead, but the second one for me is letting their emotions get engaged. Mm. Right. I mean, you know, listen, the deal process sometimes is grueling, right? You know, whether it's in tough negotiations, whether it's just in the time to do the due diligence, you know, the amount you have to open the kimono as a seller to, you know, to have them look in your books, the, uh, you know, the way the deal might adjust if things are found in due diligence, right? You know, where now they want to maybe, you know, change the purchase price or move someone into the back, further on the back end or get some assurances on something. And, um, you know, so what happens is a lot of people, the minute they have a potential buyer, or at least a, maybe an LOI, they start thinking the deal's closed and they start spending the money in their mind or, or planning their trip around the world or the 200 rounds of golf they're going to play or the next venture that they're going to open or whatever it is for mm -hmm. them. And I always caution clients around that, you know, the deal's not done until it's done and you should have that mentality. Don't go spend the money in your mind. Don't, don't go, you know, I mean, you could be excited about that possibility, but, um, and, and then expect that it, it's going to take time. There may be some ups and downs in the process and don't let your uh, impatience or your, upset or your anger, you know, get you triggered in, in some way, try to stay objective and, and know that it's a process to get the deal done. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. We tell our clients a lot that just expect the deal's going to die three times, right? <laughs> um, and, and it'll be resurrected, but there's going to be three major issues, basically, is what we're trying to say throughout the deal process. And and I, I do find it's really difficult to stay even keeled through a deal because as much as we tell clients, and I've been there before too, and I've sold my personal companies, it's hard to get an LOI and look at the numbers and and in your mind start spending the money or planning what you're going to do with it or what the life's going to be like. I mean, I, I just wonder, like, have you seen any clients that really have handled that emotional journey well? And what do you think is the difference between them and, and somebody that gets really wrapped up emotionally in the outcome? Well, I, I'd say, I mean, listen, the first easy difference is first time sellers versus uh, repeat sellers, right? Um, so, you know, obviously it's much more difficult for first time sellers. You know, people have been through it before they, they sort of know they've been through the ups and downs. They got to a successful sale. It's easier the second time around. So, uh, let's go outside of that. Let's talk about first time sellers. Frankly, you're right. It's hard. You know, I mean, uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a person uh, who does a lot of personal growth work and, you know, business growth work and spiritual work. And I, and I think the people who do the most work on themselves, you know, other people are most able to handle that. Uh, you know, one of the things I talk about uh, on negotiating is the ability to be detached to the outcome, right? Your best negotiators and deal makers, right? The, the the people that I know that are most successful in deals, they always have a preference to deal close. They have a preference to negotiation is successful. But, you know, if you and I are, uh, are doing a deal together, I shouldn't be wasting my time unless I have a preference that we get a deal done. But ultimately, they are equally fine if the deal goes, it doesn't go, you know, they, they, mm -hmm. they come from that mentality of, listen, you know, we're going to try to get it done. If it's meant to be, it'll meant, be meant to be and not in some kind of laissez-faire way. They, they move it forward intentionally, but 
ultimately, if it doesn't meet their objectives they got in a clarity process, which is what they should be doing, um, then they're going to say, hey, obviously it wasn't meant to be. Maybe we'll do a deal another time. Maybe I'm meant to do a, a deal with someone else. Maybe I'm not to be, meant to do a deal right now. That's a very, very, I mean, we're talking about fundamental, you know, uh, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of Eastern religions, Buddhism, whatever that, that <laughs> people spend years trying to get to that space of unattachment or detachment. So we're yep. talking about a difficult thing, but, but, but the master deal makers, uh, are able to do that. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, but for, you know, a, a, a founder, business owner, first time seller, unless they've done a lot of that personal work, you know, it's difficult. Um, but hopefully they've surrounded themselves with good advisors like yourself who, uh, you know, try to talk some sense into them and, uh, and keep them on an even keel. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's a really good point too, because look, most of the sellers are coming in and are first time sellers. Right. But That's on right. the flip side, um, especially if you're selling a larger business, most of the buyers are not first time buyers. Right? That's right. And some of them are professional deal makers. So they have this even keel. Um, so you're almost like at a disadvantage as a first time buyer or a first time seller. But what I love that you brought up, Corey, is connecting it back to your first uh, mistake you see is not having the clarity. And what I was thinking as, as you're talking is like, all right, as a first time seller, if I can go through this clarity exercise, right, and know what my clear outcomes I want for the deal and what's my go, no go for the deal, right? And then I have the awareness that these emotions are going to show up. At least I'm setting myself up for success with those two pieces, right? No question about it. And, and what it helps avoid is, you know, a lot of the stress of a deal. I mean, there are obviously all the stresses just because it's a big thing, especially when you're selling your baby that you created. Um, but but a lot of the stresses are those decisions that you have to make. And if you don't have clarity up front and, and you're now you're agonizing over it, right? See, if you do the clarity process, like I and I talk about this in my negotiating book, like I, I like I teach it right? It becomes somewhat binary. Now I, I'm oversimplifying it a little bit because obviously you can get clear on every term, but the combination of terms, right? You know, they give you more here, mm -hmm. maybe you have more flexibility. Yeah. So there's always, it's not as black and white, but in general, it becomes somewhat binary, right? In other words, does it meet that objective or does it not, right? You, you can go to it a more objective standard. If you don't have that, then you're, in the moment, in the heat of the battle, so to speak, in the, you know, you know, in, in real time, you, you're trying to figure out, does that work for me or not, or not? And a lot of times what happens there is that people, you know, end up getting, you know, what we often call deal creep, right? You know, like they end up agreeing to a deal that they never would have in the beginning because they didn't get clear on it because it was just another concession, just another concession. And they, you know, and, and, and so the risk is one, not getting a deal done because you don't have clarity and you can't, you know, make those decisions or the other side, the risk is, doing a bad deal because yeah. now you just kept, you know, cause now you don't want to lose it. You're too attached to it. You're too far down the road. You're sunk costs in it, all the, you know, all these things. Um, so those are the things you want to avoid. And the clarity process is the, is the best way to start, um, you know, putting yourself in the best position not to get into those pitfalls. Yeah, no, I totally, I agree. Very, very much so. All right. So let's talk about mistake number three. Yeah. All right. So let me, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw, I'll go more on the legal side just cause I am a lawyer and I, but, but I really, you know, but, but, but the thing is like, like the, those things that I talked about are much more important. So I want to bring them up. But um, so I, I would say this um, cl clarity on, so there's certain things that are non-financial, right. Uh, non um, you know, that don't come across as business terms in a deal that ultimately, you know, my you know, lawyers make a distinction sometimes between business uh, decisions and legal decisions. Mm -hmm. Everything's ultimately a business decision, mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, everything's a business decision because your lawyer may want you to 
get better protections on an indemnity, but you know, and the other side won't give it, ultimately it's going to go business. Do I want to give that up and do the deal? But there are certain things that you really want to be thinking of and, and clients sometimes don't do that. They get the price they want. Maybe they're smart enough to at least look at the terms, you know, how much upfront, whatever. Um, and, and they look at maybe there's a key employee they want to, you know, make sure they're hired or they want an employment agreement for a year. Like they'll look at that. But there are other very significant terms in a deal that are more legal that could really affect your ability to, um, you know, to to uh, end up where you want to end up. So, for example, things like indemnities, things like clawbacks, you know, things like um, uh, the reps and warranties that that you have to make. There are ways that post sale, if things don't turn out to be represented as you've represented them, uh, or there are certain issues that show up from prior to the deal that uh, a buyer can carve back on, you know, offset against or get indemnity against, you know, your purchase price. And in most deals, unless you're talking about very, very small deals, you know, you have material back-end money, right? You're not getting a check for 100% in cash of the purchase price up front, right? There's some down payment and there's some payment over time. And even if that payment over time is not specifically contingent upon something like an earnout, mm -hmm. um, it is, can be held back if there's, if there's a breach. So, um, you know, one of the things that, that, that clients, you know, dread doing, but it's super important is you got to go through those representations and warranties with your attorney in detail, yeah. right? You got to take time to prepare the schedules, right? Yeah. You know, that, that have the, anything that, that would be disclosed, because if you don't do that, if it comes up later, that's going to cost you. So, um, you know, I know it's not the fun part. I know it's not the sexy part. Um, but you know, you, you've got to do it. And, and it's not just the lawyer. I mean, listen, there are some lawyers who over lawyer deals. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I, I know some of my colleagues, but, but if you're working with a good lawyer, the lawyer is not making you sit down and do that stuff, you know, because they're just being a lawyer. It's, it's actually because those kind of things can significantly affect how the deal ends up being for you. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, it is a, it's a huge mistake I see, and I've seen not necessarily in our deals, but some other deals that have turned out really poorly legally uh, for some sellers that have been reps and warranties and callback issues. Right. And um, I'm going to give you a toss up here, but one of the other mistakes I see really related to this topic and, and, and your mistake of, of not having, you know, the right reps and warranties and things like that is also not having the right legal representation, right? So sometimes I'll see clients bring in attorneys that don't have um, specific M&A experience or M&A experience in their size deals, um, working on their deals. And, and um, you mentioned the over lawyer, there's also the under lawyer. So like, I guess my follow-up question for you is like, how, how do you select the right representative for your transaction on the legal side? And when's the appropriate time to bring them into this negotiation yeah. conversation? Yeah. So, uh, you know, on the first point, yeah, I don't, I don't know why, uh, Clients are sometimes, especially less sophisticated clients, and I don't mean that they may be very sophisticated in their business, but less sophisticated in the, in deals, uh, you know, sort of sometimes think lawyers are lawyers, right? They wouldn't think that with doctors. They wouldn't go, you know, to the GP for brain surgery, right? Uh, you know, they, you yeah. know, they wouldn't go to the pediatrician for, you know, for, for, for a, uh, you know, a heart, you know, a, a transplant, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, and that's the way it works with lawyers. I mean, you know, there are general practitioners, even, even, I mean, listen, obviously we've seen, I, I, in fact, I was talking, I was at a conference 
And I was talking to one of the big, uh, we do a lot of, a lot of stuff in financial services, uh, for example, we, we actually, we do deals across industries, but we have that, that's a little niche of us. And he's on the buyer side. It's a private equity funded buyer. They do a lot of deals. And he was telling me a story about some seller who had an environmental litigator oh. who he was trying to use to do an M&A deal. And, and, the, and in that case, they actually said when they, you know, took him a little, a couple of sessions to realize this guy's not, doesn't do this. And they, and they went to the to seller and they said, listen, here's the bottom line. Not a bad guy, but he doesn't do this. You need to change counsel or else we're out on the deal. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that might be a surprise to some folks thinking that, well, why, why would the, you know, wouldn't a buyer actually want less competent counsel on the other side? The truth is most of the good buyers don't want that. It's too much of a headache for them, right? They, you know, they want somebody who knows what they're doing on the other side. They want somebody that, you know, that, that can do the dance with them. So, um, so, so. You know, first thing is to recognize that you want somebody who has extensive M&A experience, right, in the in the size, you know, deals and types of deals that that, that you're talking about. Um, and then in terms of when to bring them in. Um, so, you know, it's very interesting to me with my clients. We get brought in very early. Now, I know there are a lot of uh, folks out there who, especially if they have the kind of lawyers that are, you know, um, uh, more troublesome in terms of getting deals done. You know, there's a stereo wait, you know, bringing the lawyers in the last minute. We don't want them to screw up the deal. Frankly, if you're working with counsel where you're worried about that, then you should, you should change lawyers, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, now, even if you have well-meaning attorneys and whatever, there are some attorneys that really take the position that they're just going to document the deals, right? That they don't get involved in the business terms, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's in part because they don't want to put themselves in a line or maybe it's, they have less experience. For you know, a firm like mine, and I'm not we're not the only ones out there, we do so many deals that there's so much value we can add beyond documenting, just documenting the deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because, you know, and 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 certainly, I mean, there are some deals that are done without intermediaries, without bankers, right? Yep. Brokers. I mean, it's super crucial to them. But even when you have bankers and brokers who we work with very, very well with, um, there's gonna be a great synergy between the council and the banker, right? And the broker, right? On certain things. And then there are also going to be things that, you know, no matter what the, how good the banker or broker is, they're, they're not lawyers, right? So yep. there's areas where they, where they don't cover, right? You know, we don't, yeah. we don't go out and package and shop and shop deals, right? You know, we don't, that's not what we do. That's what we bring in people like you to do, right? There's certain things that you don't do. So, um, so what, you know, it's a long way of saying that our clients, I mean, listen, if we get a late referral and the deal's already negotiated, whatever, and we just need the document, sure, we'll take the client. But our yeah. clients that work with us regularly, they get us in, you know, before the LOI is signed. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in fact, we help them evaluate deals uh, because just we've done so many. Um, and then even at the LOI stage, even though it's non-binding, and this maybe relates back to another mistake that people make, even though the LOI for the most part is non-binding, usually it's got, you know, a non-shop provision and maybe NDAs if you don't have a separate one that's binding, but, but, you know, you don't have to do the deal. People think, oh, that means that they can just sign it. Um, and it doesn't matter because they'll negotiate it later, but that, that's not the way it works in deals, right? It looks at a, it looks like it's a retrade of a deal. If you renegotiate a later point after you sign an LOI. So there are certain things like, you know, we try to get things like, you know, our indemnity caps and baskets and 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 some of the other things that you might negotiate later that could affect the deal um, into the LOI. I mean, and it depends on deal size and whatever and flow and whatever. I'm not saying we try to, but there are certain deals where it really makes sense to get a more comprehensive LOI. Avoid What that does for you is it avoids you spending a lot of money in legal fees and a lot of time and then finding out later during a definitive agreement process 
that, you know, there's a big problem. You get, you know, you, you deal with more upfront. So we get, we get involved early. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I said it was a toss up because like I, I knew we were going to completely agree on this topic, but um, but yeah, definitely bringing in specialists in M&A. I do want to point out, though, too, to our listeners, I don't think and, and Corey, tell me if you don't agree with this. I don't think it's necessary in most industries that you have to have a specialist in M&A in your industry. Like yeah. sometimes I think generalists from an industry um, perspective are more creative deal makers. Like I see lawyers that work across industries bring in really creative ideas that they might've done on a logistics deal that they're now bringing to like, you know, some type of e-com thing that e-com's never seen before. Right. right? Uh, so 100%, 100%. Yeah. And listen, sometimes clients will say, you know, do, do you have experience with a, you know, uh, a, a vitamin distribution company in Tennessee? Like, well, I mean, no, I, like I've four. actually done vitamin, you know, distribution, but not necessarily like, and it doesn't like yeah. we do deals all over the country. Right. We don't even need, you know, we get local counsel on certain things if we need them. But, but no, your point is very well taken. Now, there are certain except like highly regulated industries. You know, there are certain exceptions to that where industry experience may make a difference. But for the most part, now you want a great deal lawyer, MA lawyers who've got extensive experience. And you're right. I love that point about the ability to bring, because sometimes if you only do one thing, you get in this rut. Right. And mm -hmm. the ability to bring creative solutions from other industries is really a benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree bringing in early. We were actually, I was talking about this on a different panel um, recently and we we're talking about LOIs and how LOIs are, are not binding, but the business expectations of an LOI is that you're going to follow through with those terms yep. unless something's found out in due diligence to retrade the deal, which let's be honest is on the buy side only, right? If you're That's a right. seller signing an LOI for the most part, the business expectations are you're going to follow through with the terms that you agreed to. Um, and renegotiating some stuff if you you bring in lawyers further into the process when they should have been involved in, in the, the beginning, especially if you're working with professional buyers or larger deals where there's really some legal terms that need to be hammered out before that LOI. Um, I see that that blowing up deals very, very quickly. So 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Corey, it's always so great um, to do, to do interviews with you, do speaking engagements with you. I'm so glad we finally had to have you on the podcast. I would love to close. If you could just tell the listeners a little bit about your firm, um, how they can reach you and and tell us about the book too. Sure. So, um, you know, it's, it's Comfort Associates LLP. I've had the firm for a long time now in various forms since 1992. And really, you know, we work with companies, we say from startup through exit. So we do a huge amount of M&A and deal work, but we also do, we help companies start, do their capital structuring, their equity structuring, their operating agreements, shareholders agreements, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, deals if they have investors, all of that contract work going forward. We we even do, you know, related uh, real estate leasing and trademark work, but basically everything that that a company needs to to get going. We don't do any litigation. We just do all the corporate and deal work. And then we do their M&A and, and other deals, joint ventures, strategic alliances, licensing, you name it, to help them grow. And then we eventually, you know, help them handle their exit. Um, so, uh, so that's what we do. You know, we, we got a great team of clients all over the country. It's my passion to be like you. We spend a lot of, you know, we spend our time in EO and the other entrepreneurial circles and work, working with great, uh, you know, founders and visionaries and people who've created stuff. They're fun to work with. So, and we love working with them through the life cycle. So we do that. Yeah. I've got the authentic negotiating book that's available in all the usual places, Amazon, et cetera, and on audible that's been out for some years. It was Amazon bestseller. And I also have my deal quest podcast, um, which has, you know, become a, a fun thing. And uh, you were a guest on one of the episodes, so people should definitely check that out. Um, and, you know, the premise behind that was, 
Um, so it's not just about M&A, although we talk about M&A, but it's really about deal-driven growth in general. So any kind of non-organic, non-sales and marketing, right? Like I said, joint ventures, strategic alliances, licensing, online affiliate deals, and M&A and capital raising. Um, and we talk to all kinds of fun people on that. So um, yeah, so it's uh, it's Corey, CoreyCupfer.com is the general hub website where you can get to anything. CupforLaw.com is the law firm website. And I'm at Corey Cupfer on all the social sites. Perfect. And we'll drop all those links into the show notes as well for our listeners. Corey, thank you so much for sharing your advice and your expertise with us and being on the deal board. It was great being on and I always love talking deals with you. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And it is deal of the week. And we have Fernando Mello from Trans World Business Advisors of South Florida right here, working the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, uh, South Florida region. And Fernando just got a really nice deal done in the import-export business. So Fernando, distribution business. So tell me about it. Well, yeah, this is a a very uh, young company, only four years old. It was, uh, you know, suffered through, through the pandemic a little bit. But they found a niche in the U.S., which is uh, the market for Brazilians that, you know, migrate here. There, there's an estimate of about 2 million um, Brazilians uh, living in the U.S., mostly in, in Florida and Massachusetts and uh, in a good part in New Jersey also. So, yeah, this is a, a very, very interesting niche where they bring uh, food products and consumer products to satisfy those people that miss those, those products from, from home. Um, it was listed for $914,000 and was uh, sold at full listing, listing price. It was quite, you know, quite interesting because the, the seller brought the buyer hmm. and, uh, and offered a very, very generous uh, seller finance package. Uh, so out of $914,000, the down payment was only $150,000. And the rest financed over 15 months. So it was uh, kind of a, you know, great deal for, you know, for the buyer. But the sellers really went it out. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like a good business. I mean, uh, like you said, there's tons of people that have immigrated here from Brazil. And uh, I, I know that we have a lot of uh, expats from from uh, London and England and UK. And so those, those uh products are brought in as well and people miss their right. home goods right exactly exactly and they're willing to pay premium for the products that they are used to the brands that they like so yeah it was a really good sale it was sold in two months it two was months. complicated and- yeah it was complicated because seller and buyer knew each other so when when it starts like that uh it's very hard to keep control of uh, of uh, of the process right but in the end, it uh, it worked uh, worked out well. It was a good deal. Yeah, even when the buyer and seller know each other, we often find that they need us even more, right? They need a referee. They need to make sure that you know the deal is being done correctly, and they're not just working on emotions. And we've we've seen this a lot of times where the seller, you know, eventually finds the buyer, but still getting that deal done is complicated, like you said. Absolutely, absolutely. They thought that by just getting having a meeting in which I did not participate, by the way, and just uh, agreeing on the on the payment terms would 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 be enough. And uh, you know everything else, there was nothing else, right? 
And then uh, the devil's in the details and the leader side wanted to know about details. So that's, uh, that was the challenge, you know, step-by-step step, educating, uh, pushing back and uh, trying to, you know, have the ducks uh, in a row, right? And uh, so in the end, it worked. Yeah, in the end, it worked. And it also brings out another point, which I've mentioned before uh, to buyers, that you never know what a seller will do to help you get into a deal if you're the right buyer. So I always tell buyers, you know, no matter what the price is, no matter what the down payment is on a deal, if you think it is of interest to you, it is worth you going to visit the seller because you never know what the seller will do like in this case, bent over backwards to have that buyer buy it. That's a very good point. This uh, buyer was their former uh, logistics provider and was very good friends with the general manager. And the seller was uh, really wanted to take care of the general manager and make sure that he was uh, uh, kept ahead of the business. So yes, to sell to, sell to that buyer, they, they, they would do whatever. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, great job. Uh, great job putting all that together. Fernando, what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody else wants to buy a business or sell a business here in South Florida? Well, that's uh, my my number is 561-609-7371. Let me repeat, 961-609-7371. And my email is fmallow at tworld.com. Great job, Fernando. Thanks for coming on. Okay, bye-bye. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And we have a very special guest. It's uh, my partner here on the legal side of Transworld Business Advisors of Florida, our general counsel, Jackie Howe. But not only has Jackie been involved with Transworld, but obviously a partner in several firms over the years and working for large firms and working. She is probably the most knowledgeable person as far as brokerage uh, law here in Florida, as far as us being part of Chapter 475 in the Real Estate Code. But Jackie, welcome, number one. And you've been part of so many deals. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to talk about how people do things wrong. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you, Andy. Um, it's always nice to hear people say nice things about you to your face. So uh, I appreciate that. Uh, and yes, um, I was just thinking before that we are on year 13 of this journey together. So um, it's been interesting. And, and I've seen lots of good deals. And I've seen lots of bad deals. And I've seen deals that somebody just lost control of. And I've seen deals that people were able to rein back in. So, yeah, well, I... I think that's a good place to start. Number one, we were talking a little bit beforehand and buying a business is a complicated thing. It's really hard to take shortcuts, right? It's so hard to take shortcuts. And I think the what I've seen a lot and where I've seen things go really south and, and for the audience, by way of background, um, I and by trade a commercial and real estate litigation attorney, which in Florida puts me square in the middle of business brokerage because you all are licensed actual real estate agents. Um, what I have seen where things go south is where somebody says, no, I don't, I don't need a lawyer. We're, we're good. 
or you know, I'm only buying a pizzeria. Why do I want to spend the money on a lawyer? That's that's silly. Or I like this guy, or I like this person, or you know, the person's staying on. I don't need them. Or you know, they just think they're the smartest person in the room. Um, and and that's really, I think, one of the biggest mistakes that people make initially is not knowing what they don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And one of your sayings that always rings in our head here at Transworld, and you talk a lot to people during training, and you talk to buyers and sellers all the time is really at the end of the day, we're only as good as our paperwork. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, Transworld has put a lot of time and effort into creating forms that are helpful for people to use as a starting point. But understand that brokers are not attorneys. You know, they, they can just give you this form and then it's up to you and your buy, you know, your counterpart, your buyer or seller counterpart to work out the details. Um, you cannot rely on the broker to give you legal advice, accounting advice, tax advice, anything of that nature. You need to have the right attorney, CPA, you know, any type of professional on your side to help you through this process. Because, you know, it's not it's not a big deal until it's a big deal, right? I mean, that's the way it is. Everybody hopes that it's it's smooth and it's wonderful and you you see this business and it's the perfect business for you, whether you want to be an owner operator or an absentee owner, and, and you're gonna buy it and you're gonna have a nice return on your investment. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And um in this country, you know, people People like to look to blame somebody else for their own shortcomings. So, you know, the most advice that we can give people is arm yourself up front with the right people behind you. Yeah, you need a professional. I mean, I, I, everybody should have an attorney in a deal. I'm not a huge fan, and I know some places have one attorney that handles all the paperwork on a deal. Both you and I are not a fan of that. Most bar associations across the country are not a fan of that. Uh, we like both sides, no matter how small the deal, you should have an attorney. It really pays. I mean, you need to have the right attorney. We could talk about one of the deal killers in the world is having the wrong attorney for sure. And um, I think we have another interview on this. He talked about having the right professionals. So I don't think we need to dive into that. But not only as you know, you have to have a professionals, but a lot of times, even in Florida, and I we know this is the case, both the buyer and seller are deemed professionals. You don't necessarily have the protections of being a consumer when you're buying a business. True. And this is something that we find a lot when, you know, it's another one of my many things that I've always said. Somebody buys a business that they had no business buying. Um, and the answer, they always come back with, well, I didn't know. In Florida, the purchase of a business is deemed the same as the, the same as the purchase of commercial real estate. And under Florida law, the purchase purchase purchaser, excuse me, of a commercial enterprise is deemed to be a sophisticated purchaser. It, it is a much lower bar. It is, you know, to coin the term that I think most of us have heard at some point in our life, caveat emptor, buyer beware. It is a completely different standard when you buy than when you buy your home. 
because in Florida, the law has a lot more protections for homeowners because they're presumed to not be sophisticated. But here, if you're smart enough to think you can run a business, you're smart enough to know that you should be able to read a contract and hire the right people to help you. Yeah, I think that's it's critical. And uh, we do have a lot of paperwork here at Transworld that we use. And, uh, and, and we always tell our advisors and we tell the buyers and sellers, you're only as good as your paperwork, right? And Absolutely. you can't, you, you have to fill it out correctly. You have to have the right entities involved, right? That That is a huge one. I mean, from, you know, I don't do, to, to as you know, Andy, I don't do transactions. I'm, uh, my role is to um, advise Transworld and to advise um, the agents and the, the brokers and to make sure that they are doing everything that they can to represent their clients as they're supposed to, according to Florida law, and to do things to protect themselves to help make sure that they get paid. And, and one of the most common things I had found early on uh, thankfully, I don't see it as much now is, as you said, people didn't understand that, you know, we have a, a market, we have a listing agreement, we have, you know, all types of agreements. And if you change the printed word, you are, you are necessarily impacting how that document is going to operate. So you have to be very careful of how you do that. Not, and I always say, I understand that listings are very important because without listings, you don't get deals done. I get that. But in the heat of the moment, you have to be careful about how you modify things. And if, you know, if you're at, you know, we always used to use the example of, you know, you're at the diner, you're at, you know, you're at the pizzeria or you're at the shop and you're trying to get the listing signed and the seller handwrites something right? If you have to countersign that because it has to be signed by both parties. You know, similarly, you know, we see that people don't sign the marketing agreements with their true corporate entities. So if you are, and this goes not only for marketing agreements, this goes for when you're doing a deal, you have to make sure that this deal, that the person that is signing the document is signing under the right corporate entity and has the authority to bind the company. Yeah, we've seen that a lot. We've seen that a lot at the end of the day when somebody doesn't want to pay a commission or somebody wants to get out of a deal. It's like, well, they're not really in charge anyway. Or all of a sudden, there's a silent partner that pops out of nowhere uh, that, that comes into a deal and then you know wants to kill a deal or something like that. Well, absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, we've seen it too many times. but. You know, that's where my knowledge as a litigator comes in, because, you know, if you have to litigate something, then you're dealing with arguments of, well, did this person have apparent authority? Okay, did they did they represent themselves as having authority to bind the company? Did they sign all the documents? Did they take, you know, did they um, engage in the negotiations? Were they the person that the buyer that the buyer met at the shop? to to give a tour you know are they the ones that were negotiating with the SBA you know all these things go into what would ultimately prevail in litigation but litigation is a horrible horrible thing for anybody to want to get into 
Litigation is not a good <laughs> litigation is not a good business tool. I mean, you know, some people use it as a weapon, uh, but you know, certainly it's not something that is an efficient thing to get things done. And you know, speaking of efficiency, right? We talked about trying to take shortcuts before. A lot of people, when they do a, they want to do a simple letter of intent, and I'm not a huge fan of that. And I, I, I think one of the reasons is it really doesn't get an agreement together. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we're agreeing to agree, hopefully later, and then people go through a whole bunch of work, whether it's doing a quality of earnings or, a full, you know, simple due diligence. There's no such thing as a simple due diligence. And if they have this simple LOI that really doesn't spell out the terms of the deal, you don't have a deal, right? No, absolutely not. Um, an LOI, a simple LOI is a promise to make a promise. There is nothing binding within an LOI. Now, if you want to go the next step, there are provisions in an LOI that you could make binding, okay? But uh, as a whole, LOIs are not a binding document. And you're right. A lot of, you know, bigger deals, people just operate on LOIs. That, that's the way they operate. And, and they uh, with the bigger deals, people have sophisticated attorneys that understand that you know some provisions of an LOI are binding, and they know which ones should be binding. Um, but generally, LOIs are a promise to make a promise. They are they are specifically not binding. It's a letter of intent as opposed to a contract. Right. Yeah. And and I've seen the other thing that I think gets uh, intermediaries in in a bind, and oftentimes you know buyers and sellers. Explain. We talked a little bit about unlicensed practice of law earlier, and I just want to get that out there again. Practicing law is writing legal documents or or giving legal advice to other people. Yeah. So you can't get in trouble for doing your own legal work because you can do your own legal work, and that's a bad thing. But you know you can do it. But this is where some brokers out there in the world I see get in trouble because, oh, I'm going to write up a letter of intent. That's not legal in just about 50 states, I believe. Um, law school, um, you know, basic law school, is why we, that's why we go through the torture that we do. Um, there's a reason for it. And, and it's, you know, it's all of the nuances of why it is a bad idea I, and I can go into this from a couple different levels. You know, Andy, I've told you winning or losing an argument or a deal is could literally be the putting a comma in a sentence or putting the word or in a sentence. There's a reason why sometimes to your frustration, I agonize over how things are, are worded because every word counts, every comma counts, every sentence counts. And, and, and I understand the frustration from the intermediary because especially the experienced people have been doing this for 20 years, 30 years. They have seen countless, countless deals. So while they may know generally how something goes, they legally cannot tell somebody or give somebody advice on how to do it. And I have seen um, bar associations, not only in Florida, but in other, in Florida, but in other states really crack down on this to the point that you have to be very careful, again, 
trans world takes a lot of time and effort to do their form. And there's a reason why, because we want to give something that's as um, generic as we can. But if you are even spilling out and saying in an addendum or an amendment, right? And say, okay, you want to do this, you want to do that. And then you write it out. Even that could be a problem. So, you know, you need to make sure you have all the disclaimers. You ideally, not to keep going back to this, but you want to have an attorney be there to do it for you. Because the broker, if they get a UTL violation, which is an unlicensed practice of law violation, that's a big deal. And, you know, if they are, if they are found that they've done that, then that could hurt their, their license. You know, if you're in, in most of the states, I believe, require a, a real estate license to sell a business. So you don't want yep. to do anything to jeopardize your livelihood. No, no. And it's certainly we've seen some UPL violations in the past and we've passed, luckily, here in Florida because we've done the right thing. And really because we do include attorneys. That's the that's the job of a form. A form is to get the deal started. Uh, much like the FAR bar and a lot of other states have something like a Florida Association of Realtors, the Realtor Association and the Bar Association of that state get together, create a contract, fill in the blank contract so realtors can start a purchase, then hand it over to attorney. Same thing should happen here in brokerage. We, we A deal gets started, whether uh, the buyer writes a letter of intent or the broker has a fill in the blank form that they've gotten approved from their own attorneys. Uh, and then those deals are handed back to attorneys. Now, we were talking about deal killers, and there's plenty of other deal killers of just setting up a deal and trying to get a deal started. Um, we see a lot of other people getting a, more aggressive. And as business brokerage gets more popular, we're seeing things pop up in leases, and we see things pop up in uh, financing uh, that are deal killers because they're anticipating. And uh, I know Alan, uh, our commercial real estate guy, was talking uh, this week about some of the things we've seen in lease assignments, right? It's crazy. And and understand that when it comes down to it, you know, your landlord, one when you're a tenant, hopefully, you know, your landlord only wants you to succeed. They want to help you. They want to maintain, you know, a good space. They want to do whatever they can. Man, if you're coming in, and first of all, your lease allows you to assign your lease because a lot of leases won't even allow you to assign. Um, but, you know, landlords will look at that as a payday. So, you know, depending on the verbiage, you know, it should, your lease should say that if you want to do an assignment, the landlord will not unreasonably withhold the assignment. But understand, it doesn't have to fail. Yeah, we've we've seen all kinds of things. We've seen assignment fees, right? Like you said, which is very common. Although the one Alan mentioned uh, was egregious. It was what was it? A full year uh, of the lease. A full year of the lease, and we've seen where they said if the asset value is above the value of the assets that are inside of the the leasehold, then the landlord gets the proceeds of the sale. I mean, we, that is kind of crazy, but we've seen that in, in some of the new leases out there. So if you're getting into a lease out there in the world, or you're thinking about selling your business, perhaps the first thing you want to do is look at your assignment clause. 
Well, here's another thing that catches people that they don't realize. And I'm going to use um, a restaurant as an example. If something is affixed to the wall, a lot of times that becomes the, the landlord's because it, it's a fix. So right. there's all kinds of, of issues and all kinds of ways that, that deals can go south um, without having a knowledgeable person review, you know, your legal documents. Yeah. You know, understanding that, you know, uh, the reason why Transworld is so successful and why business brokerage is becoming so popular is because what we're talking about are the exceptions to the rule, right? You know, uh, and the vast majority of deals go wonderfully. But what we're talking about is being able to give people the tools that they need so that it is a positive experience. Right. And, and in this situation, forewarned is forearmed, right? If you go in knowing that you need to protect yourself, then you can get in front of any potential problems because nobody wants... You don't want somebody to have a bad experience buying a business because it shouldn't be a bad experience. Um, so you just have to protect them. And, and speaking of bad things that happen in deals or things, you know, like you said, sellers should go into a deal wanting the buyer to succeed. Mm -hmm. uh, the brokers want to go into a deal making sure the buyer is a good buyer. And, you know, so a lot of times we, we, we try to make sure that we ask the seller when we're listing the business, is there anything else that you're not telling us about that could perhaps uh, cause an issue in a deal? And, you know, how many times do we, do the sellers don't disclose a lien or don't disclose pending litigation? I mean, that could be a nightmare, right? It, it could absolutely be a nightmare. Um, understand the seller is incentivized to sell their business for the most money that they can. So when you're dealing with situations, circling back to what I said before about like in Florida, you know, buyer beware, it is on you as a buyer to do all the due diligence that you need to do to within the realm of what you can possibly know. Obviously fraud is fraud. So that's an intentional effort to hide or conceal. That's a different situation. Um, which we've dealt with, and it's probably a whole other podcast discussion. Um, right. But to the extent that you could know, it's incumbent on you to find out. So if a seller is not disclosing a lien, you know, that could affect your finance. Because is it a lien on the, on the, um, the equipment? You know, you're buying the assets of a business, but if the assets are encumbered, then what is it that you're buying? You know, we've seen situations where people are buying the assets of the business, but the seller, for all intents and purposes, doesn't own the asset because they've encumbered it so much. So then what's the buyer left with? You know, the, there's all the little minutia that you really have to have somebody that knows what they're doing think about. Yeah. And almost have, uh, don't they have, you have a checklist of things. Yeah, I mean, there there are checklists out there. We don't like to provide checklists because, of course, you know, we we don't well, want. We to don't provide it, but the nope. person that's doing the due diligence, oh, yeah. the attorney would have. Absolutely, and another reason why you need an attorney. They have access to databases. They could look up. They could see litigation that's in progress that we might not be able to see. Of course, they could check the docket and things like that. Um. Well, here, you, here's one more thing that they can check, by the way, is not only the, the docket for litigation, but they can check to see um, if there's any judgments recorded against the business. 
and right. and judgment is good for 10 years and then it can be renewed for another 10 years so, so it, and and we always tell people the other thing that as i started this part of the conversation with the best thing to do is disclose this these things because we, a lot of times we could solve them uh you know but if you know about something in a deal if you're a buyer you're a seller you're an accountant you're an attorney you're the broker i think almost the the law almost around the land is that if you know you should disclose uh, the law in florida is you know for the brokers is different and a lot of people put it try to impose an obligation on on an intermediary in florida that is actually higher than their legal obligation so in florida intermediaries do not owe a fiduciary duty to a buyer or seller or both they represent the transaction specifically um so they because they represent both sides of the deal they will not and should not do the due diligence they will not do that because that creates an impermissible conflict because they don't represent one or the other. So they will not do it or they should not. I, right. I, you know, I, I, hopefully I've hammered that in enough. Um, you know, their, their only obligation in Florida is to deal honestly and fairly, which goes to what you're saying. If you know something, disclose it. Right. You know, um, I like to say, too, with anything, it, it's kind of, you know, whatever, but own your warts. You know, if there's a wart in the deal, just come out with it. And then and then you can deal with it. You can get in front of it. But if you hide it, if you put it under the table, if you don't deal with it, it's going to be a bigger deal than it otherwise might need to be. And and so and we tell that to people all the time. Because things come out post-closing, like deal, you know, I, we, oftentimes we think, well, the deal's done. And a lot of times there are post-closing obligations of the seller that could almost unwind the deal or could unwind the deal, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, the, if there's an earnout or if the seller is stays on for how many times have we seen an obligation where a seller has to stay on for X period of time to train and help with transition? Because by the way, nine times out of 10, the employees don't know this is happening. Right. So you need the cooperation of the seller to deal with that transition, you know, and maybe a buyer's gonna, you know, a smart buyer might hold back the money, but, you know, until things are done or there's an earnout, you know, um, if the seller doesn't get paid all their money upfront and they have to perform over a certain amount of time, you know, there's sellers also, you're right, think that once it's signed, you know, it's like a house, you know, okay, I'll hand you the keys, we're done. Not so much. Yeah, because they if they promise 30 days of training and don't do the training, the right. buyer could try to unwind the deal. The buyer could try to unwind the deal. The buyer, and I've seen it. I've seen That's why I'm mentioning it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen it where buyers will literally go on vacation for a month. After after a deal is done, and the uh, if I misspoke, seller. The, seller, the seller will go on vacation for a month. I have also seen a buyer go on vacation. Yeah, we've seen that too, where where somebody buys a business and they don't show up to training. 
they don't show up because this maybe this seller did such a good job running this business that they made it look so easy. But as a seller, but as a seller, you should you want to make sure that obligation has been fulfilled. And we've got that phone call from the seller saying, hey, the buyer never showed up. What do I do? My 30 days are about up. I want to leave. Well, exactly that. Like these buyers think that they've got, you know, this this seller that's just going to work the business for them for 30 days. So then it's like, you know, their money for, for 30. And that's where things just go south. That is absolutely where things go south. It is, uh, you know, for whatever that transition time, you you two should be a partner. You should be partners. You should have the same objective and the same goal. And I, I think that's, you know, how we'll wrap it up. But, you know, at the end of the day, that there are, this is a legal process. I mean, buying a business, oh, selling yeah. a business is a legal process. and and you could say it or I'll say it. The broker's not a lawyer. So, broker is not a lawyer. Right. Broker so we need, we need legal professionals and you need the right legal professionals. So you can avoid all those things that we were just talking about. Not 100%. You know, you still may have problems, but man, you'll, that can cut out 50 to 60% of them. And if a broker does try to give you legal advice, don't listen to it. Right. Don't listen to it because they may be right, but they may not. And at the end of the day, you're not going to have recourse against that by that broker because they are engaged in the unlicensed practice of law. And who's going to be hurt at the end? You, because yeah. you'll have used your life savings. You'll have, you know, up, we've seen people uproot their families to different countries because of issues. So just hire the right attorneys that are not deal killers who understand that the goal is to get the job done and to get the deal done. Yeah, I agree. And we've seen we've seen lots of deal killers out there in the world, but Transworld I have to say is pretty well equipped to, you know, get you through those and and so Jackie, thank you so much for coming oh, you're on. You're welcome. I really it's appreciate my pleasure. It is my pleasure. All right. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for listing of the week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is listing of the week, and I have Tom Milana here live in Fort Lauderdale. It's nice to do these in person, right? It sure is. All right. So we have a great listing of the week because I know the business very well, right? I tell Everybody you, it, it's a South Florida icon. If you like Mexican food, this business has been around for over 40 years, uh, right here in Fort Lauderdale. Um, it's a real true icon and they serve up some of the best authentic Mexican food you can think of. Yeah, I love it. I, you know, we've been there many times and it's a, a great, like you said, an institution, uh, plenty of seating, right? 265 seats, including a full service bar outdoor seating, uh, close to the beach, private room, private room, the whole nine yards. Yeah. It's ready to go. Very busy touristy area as well. Extremely. Now that we're things, things like the convention center are coming back online and, and pier 66. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, it's, 
the business is really taken off once yeah, again. Yeah, and it's under-marketed. They really don't do a ton of marketing. They don't all. do any marketing. It's just, right. I mean, it's the same people that have been going back for 40 years. Yeah, so it's a great place. Yep. Uh, Fort Lauderdale Institution, Tom, if somebody wanted to know more. What? Well, first, I'll tell you, the revenue this year, they're going to be a million six, right? Right. The, the bottom line is going to be close to about 210. Two hundred and ten thousand. Were they asking? We're only priced at five ninety nine, and they're willing to do some seller financing. There so you go. We can't beat that. It's a good day. Yeah, the uh, owner is moving out of state. Or is retiring. The, right. the owner of this place was the bus boy from the original founder. Right. Right. I mean, that's how long he's been there. Yeah. So, so. Uh, you can reach me at uh, Tom at tworld.com or five six one seven zero two six eight six seven. Move fast. It'll go quick. Sure will. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Mom, Dad, I humbly suggest you save some money and shop Amazon for back to school. It's for my growth meaning my body's growing at an alarming rate. And clothes you buy me this year will be very small very soon. Plus, the clothes I love today will be out of style tomorrow. But at least your wallet doesn't have to be my fashion victim if you shop low prices for school at Amazon. Hopefully this is helpful. Amazon. Spend less, smile more. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.